Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And yes, indeed, that is us. This is Jay Madison's Rural America. Glad to have you join us for another episode of the podcast. Today, we don't have my co-host, Ron Robbins, uh, at the table. He is actually out in the field getting some work done, finally. That's what his family says, anyways. Uh, he's uh, he's out there. I forget what they're doing today. I think it might be soybeans or something like that. But anyways, uh, he is out driving tractor today, so we won't have Ron here in the studio. But we do have a very special guest, Dave Timmerman, uh, who is a uh, past poultry farmer here in Jefferson County, and he now operates a, a private business. Uh, he does brush control and land clearing, and we're going to have a really interesting conversation with Dave. We're going to talk a little history here in northern New York about the turkey and poultry industry and get his perspectives on what it was like back then and why don't we see these industries here today. So, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Jay. I'm so, fine. You're fine so far. Is this the first time you've ever done a podcast yes well we're gonna make it as easy as possible for you sir now you do your current business tell me a little bit about that well i started this business better than 20 years ago because there was a need in the area the small dairy farms had finally disappeared the roadsides hay fields were growing up to brush and i seen a need for a service and that's how i got started so you do you do brush clearing and, and field renovations do brush clearing uh do maintenance after the fact that need be we have heavy equipment that actually can after we clear the brush can bring the soil back to production by a big heavy set of discs that we have that will you can't plow that ground with a root mass so we have a big heavy set of discs that will it's six to eight inches right through the root mass and the vegetation after we caught it. So that breaks everything up and puts the field into a usable uh, condition for farms it, or whoever. That gets it into usable uh, situation. Now, you're not just doing this for farms. You're doing this for other businesses, too. Well, does anybody wants to hire us. Huh. Well, that's great. That's great. It's good to have a service like that. You're probably the only one that, that I know of in the area. Well, we have some awesome equipment. <laughs> Clear a lot of land in a hurry if you need to. You betcha. All right. So, uh, Dave, you know, you've shared your story with me many times, and uh, I've heard you share it with others. You started out, uh, I'm not going to say when, but you started out a long time ago, longer than I've been around, uh, in the turkey industry, correct? I followed my father's footsteps. Uh, he was known as C.H. Timmerman, Timmerman's Turkey Farm, the Fardville. Uh He started with a handful of turkeys on his father's farm, Back in the mid-30s. So, 1930s, back, uh, let's see, that was during the Depression, wasn't it? Or yeah. just coming out? Just coming out of it. And so, C.H. Timmerman, that was your dad, and you said he started with a handful of turkeys. Yes. Was there an industry here at that, a turkey industry here at that time, or was he the first? What I can find out in the records, he he just started with turkeys, and it, mel it just 
multiplied from there. And, and so at that time, there was a lot of dairy farming in the area, uh, you know, probably thousands of small dairy farms. Uh, why didn't he go into dairy farming? Have you learned that? Uh, he was on his father's farm and starting the turkeys at, at uh, a fairly young age. Uh, the turkeys expanded after he, he bought it, started buying farms. So he later. just, he, he never, he just figured he'd start with the turkeys and just went from there. And got into the dairy business. Oh, then he got into the dairy yes. business. Oh, okay. All right. It takes me a while to follow along on the story here. There weren't many turkey farms around at the time that you, you can determine. He was one of the first. He, to my knowledge, he was one of the first that started, and there was, uh, from what I understand, once he got his first incubators, a few years later, he was doing custom hatching for other farmers that were gathering up their eggs, that the birds were just laying natural, hmm. and they would bring the eggs to him, and uh, he would custom hatch them, and they'd take their poles back. So how, how big did this grow over the years? Well, from when he started out, you fast forward uh, 25 to 30 years, we were growing out 55 to 60,000 birds a year. Jeepers. So you went from just a, a handful of birds to 55 to 60,000 birds a year. Yes. That's a lot of turkeys. A lot of feathers. <laughs> and a lot of other stuff that they produce, too. Now. Go ahead. Good fertilizer. Yeah, good fertilizer. Exactly. Good fertilizer and a whole lot of gobbling going on. When when he started out, then he went into the dairy industry as well? Somewhere along the line, I'm not sure exactly what period of time, but it was it was in the uh, late 30s, early 40s. He started to buy his neighbor's farms, relatives' farms in the area when they were retiring or get out of business. Some of them were dairy farms, and he just started up in the dairy business. In this day and age, uh, some people look down on that when a larger farm buys other farms that they're trying to retire or go out of business for one reason or another. You know, that larger farm might, you know, pick up that farm and, and operate it and either have cows on it or as a satellite operation or uh, just farm the land. But this was actually happening back then. It's not. It's not anything new. No, it was it, it was just the way life was at that particular stage of the history. Families retired or relatives retired. They bought the land that bordered the land that they were already owned. Yeah, I mean, it just makes sense. Just makes sense. So where did he ship his milk to at the time? I can remember going to Douglas Crossing. Dunkel's Crossing. Douglas where is that? Crossing. That's on uh, 37. It's a nice plant now. Oh, 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 okay, yeah, I've got an idea where you're talking about. Northern Jefferson County. Yeah. So he, he would go there, and then what? Uh, when that closed up, it went to Lafargeville. Okay, so there was a milk plant at Dunkel's Crossing. Dunkel's Crossing, yeah. Uh, now, were they making product there, or was that a, a distribution point to some other dairy plant? I was too young to know. Okay, so that was a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> now, um, you said when that closed up, that particular location, the milk went someplace else. Went to Lafargeville. To what is now the HP Hood plant? Right. Oh, wow. So that was that was a long time ago then that yes. that plant was operating. Yes. 
Who owned it back then? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, because I know, you know, H, before H.P. Hood, it was Crowley itself. Crowley's, and then there was somebody else before that, I believe. Hmm, okay, I'll have to check into that, because I don't know who owned it before Crowley's. I've never, I've never researched that. Well, you know, this is pretty interesting, taking a look at some of the history of agriculture through your family and you know, what your dad did. Now, when he was shipping milk, was he putting it in cans? We, uh, we had a can. Well, actually, uh, it was being picked up by haulers that had can routes. And later on, when bulk first became uh, an item and people were switching, my dad had started hauling his own milk and picking up the neighbors as we drove by that didn't want to go bulk at the time. Hmm. Interesting. Now, so when when you remember early on, the cans, were they being uh, horse-drawn wagon or? No, by truck. By truck. Huh, okay. I even, I even had to do that. Now, as time went by, he's, he went over to the Crowley's plant or whoever owned it at the time. Yes, um, what did he stay with Crowley's until he got out of the dairy industry, or uh, what happened then? After we went bulk, I think uh, we went uh, somewhere else, but I don't recall exactly where the milk went. I don't okay. think it went to Crowley's. I'm not sure. Okay, okay. And at the same time, he was growing this turkey operation that he had started. Oh, the turkey operation, uh, growing leaps and bounds. Now, when you said you had fifty to 60,000 turkeys on your farm, that, you're not talking about other farms. You're talking about just your farm. On our own real estate. Where Was the turkey industry across the county growing at that time? It was growing until uh, the late 60s, and it stopped abruptly in 1970. Okay. Now, I I have heard, I've never done the research, but I have heard that at at one time, Jefferson County was one of the largest turkey-producing counties in New York State. Jefferson County, as I recall, as a young teenager, had so many turkey growers that they had their own turkey association. Really? That big? Yeah. Jeepers. I, I had no idea. Why Why did Jefferson County become such a large turkey growing area? I mean, because you don't see it now. I have no idea. Just it, it got started through your dad. Apparently, I just grew up with it. And just this area produced a lot of turkeys. There, as I'm thinking back, and I, uh, right in Jefferson County, there was at least seven locations that kept breeders and hatched their, had their own incubators and hatched baby turkeys for the industry in New York State. And at that time, we were able to uh, sell into Canada. So our turkeys were traveling out of northern New York into Canada and to other areas of New York State. And also into other states. And into other states. Uh, I just... It's hard to imagine because you look around now and you don't see that the remnants of that. And I'm not sure. There was seven that I can remember, and I right in Jefferson County, the one in Mansville, I think it's out of the county, but that was a huge operation, Fred Finney. Fred, oh, Fred Finney. Uh, the Fred Finney that does, uh, he did real estate. Yes. He, well, he was in the turkey business. I mean, Huge. I, I had no idea. Yep. No idea. He had his own turkey restaurant. You're kidding me. No. Where? Right there on the farm. Huh. So people, just, I mean, because you hear about, well, it, it doesn't operate this way anymore, but uh, Plainville Farms. Yes. Down in central New York, you know, they had their own restaurant for a while and such. 
we actually had that up here uh, before they did. We, they were our biggest boat customer. My dad, the man that started Plainville, were in the same age group, uh-huh. and they never had their own breeders. They always bought the baby turkeys. So Jefferson County was supplying the poults, the young, the young yes. birds, to Plainville turkey farms down in central New York. Yeah. We, were, we were supplying them close to 100,000 poults a year. No idea. No, I, this is great. I mean, folks, we are learning a lot about uh, part of the agricultural history of Jefferson County here today. And, and that's why we invited Dave Timmerman. That's who we're talking to, folks. Uh, Dave Timmerman sitting here at the, at the microphone with us, uh, sharing all of this great information. So, so Dave, what happened to that turkey industry? I mean, is, it certainly sounds like we were the biggest turkey-producing county in New York State at one time, but now you don't see anything of that. What what became of it? New York State. Okay. 1968, they gave us forewarning. They were inspecting, state was inspecting the poultry, both okay. chickens and turkeys, anything with feathers on. Okay. They gave us two years' warning that the first day of January 1970, there would be no longer New York State inspection. Okay, so, I mean, what does, forgive me for not understanding completely what that means. What that meant was you had to go federal inspection or go out of business. So the state, even though there was this large industry producing 100,000 birds well, a that year. Was, I mean, I, I have no idea the volume of it, but they were all over New York State. There was hatcheries and growers growing Hundreds of thousands of turkeys. And the state chose to not do New York State inspection anymore. Yes. Which forced to forced you to find a federal, a USDA inspector, and that wasn't available? It was available. I spent best part of two years researching in the going south all the way up into New England to people that had gone federal, what their reaction was and what their challenges were. And a big percentage of the ones that I visited were out of business when I talked to them just because the federal bureaucracy, uh, they couldn't afford to stay in business. In $1970, just for us to do what we were doing the last day of 69, would have cost us a quarter of a million dollars in 1970 dollars. $250,000 to to do to get federal inspections just to stay in business. Why? What was going to be so expensive? Just they had squared footed requirements. Uh, so you're talking about for the turkey farm or for the, for the processing? Chemical, the processing plant. So they had they had square the, footage requirements. All kinds of requirements. And what I learned was that federal inspector, and I think the same thing is true today, is a low man or low woman on the pole. They have to find something wrong or they're not doing their job. Well, that's, you know, that's typical of... You know, most auditors, inspectors, you know, claims adjusters, all of that type of thing. They're paid to fix the, you know, to find something wrong, as yes, as you're saying. Exactly. So we did uh, what we ended up doing. Well, we ended up putting 30 people out of work. You had 30 people working for you. Well, on the farm, we had to, we cut our breeder operation from 4,000 hens, breeder hens, replacement, 
females to half, 2,000. We lost pulp industry because the small people that were buying of 500 to 1,000 to 3,000 or 4,000 couldn't go couldn't, couldn't afford to they go to go. the federal inspections. So we lost that business. So we we had to cut our turkey operation down. Uh, we still took care of Plainville. They were large enough, and they were in the area, metropolitan area, between Syracuse, Rochester, and Cortland, that they could afford to stay in business. And they stayed in business, and they kept growing. We kept supplying impulse until the late 70s. Uh, they at that time offered me, because my father had passed away, a chance to grow 10,000 birds for them and have them supply them every other week 10,000 birds. Every other week 10,000 birds? Year-round. Oh, jeez. I would have had to build pole barns and I had a, just a city of them in order to do that. Why didn't you? Back in the 60s, you know how deep the snow got? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was one good reason. <laughs> yeah. Because these birds... Or year-round. Uh, the thing was, to that time, it was much more economical to grow the turkeys in the south, where the grain was grown, corn the soybeans, mm-hmm. put the minerals with it, and it was to ship it by rail, pay that freight on it up here. Yeah, it, it, that makes sense to me. Uh, you know, That, in a nutshell, is... Why there's no turkeys in New York State? That's such a shame. Such a shame. Economics. Yep. I mean, it, it's economics. Absolutely, it you know makes sense. But it's a shame at, at the same time that we weren't able to compete. Uh, you know, that is that is quite a picture uh, of what used to be here in Jefferson County. You know, and that federal inspection, the state ending their inspection services and going to the federal inspection, certainly put a, a nail in the in the hen house, so to speak. Yeah, and it, it did it all, all across New York State. We had, uh, there was a lot of plants, small and large, like we were in the state, and a very few of them survived. So when did you get out of turkey production? I think the last turkeys we grew was in, that were our own turkeys, was in 1985. Mm, that was it. That was it. Uh, did you continue with dairy production? Oh, yeah. We never stopped the dairy production. Okay. So so tell me a little bit about that. Uh, how did it grow? What happened uh, to the dairy farm? Back up a notch. Okay. In 1985, my goal as a young person, I didn't go to college. Everything was learned our way. Uh, I wanted to build a better mousetrap, so to speak. Okay. And I... When I got out of high school, really didn't know, other than my dad had turkeys and didn't know anything about genetics. But I got interested. And uh, over a 30-year period from 55 to 85, with some of my dad's bloodlines, some that we had, he'd helped me acquire, and I acquired after he passed on, I had 17 different pure lines of turkeys. That's a challenge to keep that much. <laughs> I guess so. I have, uh, I can tell you, but maybe I better not tell you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But anyways, in 1955, my dad would send me out. He says, we need a few tom turkeys that'll grow, be 25 pounds for the oven. Mm-hmm. A bronze turkey back then had to be 30 weeks of age to get to weigh 30 pounds. Yeah, that's that's a big bird, 30 pounds. And so I would go out with a tripod and the scales and 
take one of his employees with me and I could tell which ones would be the bigger ones and they, I would catch whatever he needed, 25, 30, 40, whatever the number was he wanted. A white turkey at that same age at 30 weeks would only weigh 26 pounds. Hmm. There was a four-pound gap between white and bronze. And it was that important, that difference your customers wanted 30-pounders, not 26-pounders. What they wanted, there was a few, this was the retail sto- retail people wanted some oven-ready 25-pound turkey, ready for the oven. Big family. In 1985, 30 years later, I don't think I shared this with you, but hmm. I was called in 85 in March by... Purdue poultry. Big name in the poultry industry, Purdue. I had been working to build, as I said, a better mousetrap. <laughs> a bigger turkey. A bigger turkey. <laughs> they knew what we had, and they wanted to know if I wanted to be interested in selling out. Oh, wow. They So they called you up to buy you they, out? They called me and wanted. they asked, would you be interested? They said, we'd like to try your turkeys. Well, we didn't have much left. We had some some females in April, May, and in uh, August, middle of August. We take them. Mm-hmm. We were putting the last eggs in the incubator for the August hatch. And these are those bigger turkeys. These were what I had worked on for 30 years. Wow. Had that growth. And trust me, these, they called me up and says, we'd like to see your turkey. Be glad to show you. I says, there's just one little problem. Not in the problem on my end, but you have to be here tomorrow. Oh, we can't do that. We Well, anyways, I said, I'm sorry. The trucks are rolling to pick up the breeders. Been had shackle time. That's kill time. Already taking me six weeks to get that schedule. They're going to be out of here Wednesday. So if you want to see them, you have to be here tomorrow. Call you back in 10 minutes. They call me back to pick us up at the Watertown Airport at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. You had some well-known birds then. I was out of business at noon. You're kidding me. I'm not. Wow. They they came in and wrote the check. Wrote the check. Damn. Purdue. Purdue. So, when, so, for example, if somebody goes to the supermarket and buys a Purdue turkey right now, are they potentially buying the genetic strain that you produced? I have no way of knowing. You don't know? Okay. I don't know. Okay. But there is that chance. There is that chance. Wow. From right here in Jefferson County. Huh. That's that's pretty neat. He is shaking his head, yes. So, that's, that's pretty cool. So, folks, you know, it... You know, Jefferson County was once home to the monster Timmerman turkey. The industry, see, actually, I'm backing up a step. New York State had its own turkey association, along with locally Jefferson County. And there was always a national turkey convention held about the second week in January every year. Mm-hmm. In New York State, when my dad would go, we didn't have refrigeration so to show take our birds to show the potential poke customers. So he had made a box and went and bought dry ice at whatever city it was in, Rochester, Syracuse, or wherever. Right. And to show what his genetics were doing so you could kind of get an idea what your bird's going to look like when you market it. The industry, I was told, they were doing, and I changed my thought in my breeding, that they had huge male turkeys that grew fast, but their legs wouldn't hold them up, and they actually sandbagged them on each side. Really? And use this day and age, that probably wouldn't go over so well, Dave. I mean, mm-hmm. in the breeder house. Huh. And I'm going to back up a little bit to the end of the 50s. Cornell 
developed a way to artificial breed turkeys. <laughs> That's got to be quite the little process. See, it was all natural through the 50s and until right. the late 50s. Right. Well, what happened at that time was mostly all whole bird sales. Right, okay. Back at all whole bird sales, we had to have different genetic turkeys. So when we dressed them off, we had a eight-pounder up to a 30-pounder, and we had to have different bloodlines that they finished off at eight pounds, 12 pounds, so on. We had right. to have different different breeds. Yeah. Well, when the further processing started in the 60s, late 50s, well, it started basically after the become of artificial uh, breeding. All of a sudden, the in, there was a lot of industry people went upside down because they were started breeding, doing artificial breeding, and the fertility went from 55% to 75%, and all of a sudden you got... You were flooded with turkeys. You were flooded with turkeys. Yep. And that drove the price down and, oh, and it, put you out of business. It put... Put a lot. Of, I know of one place. The man uh, grew a hundred thousand birds, sold his dairy cow, hundred thousand birds, and he committed suicide. So yeah. there's some stories. Yeah, there's a lot of stories there. Well, Dave, unfortunately, we have uh, we have expended our uh, our our time here on the show. Uh, but it has been a very fascinating story that you've shared with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, this this is great uh, for folks that didn't realize it. Jefferson County at one time was one of the leading uh, turkey produ- production areas in New York State, and uh, Dave Timmerman and his fathers were father was uh, leaders in that industry, and uh, he's just shared that that history with us forever because we'll have this recorded and out there, so people all over the place are going to get to hear about uh, growing turkeys here in Northern New York. Thank you, Dave. It's really appreciated. It was a pleasure. All right. That was Dave Timmerman. Uh, he owns. He currently owns a brush, uh, brush hogging business, land clearing business here in Jefferson County. And he's also got a wealth of uh, knowledge and history about the poultry industry here in Jefferson County. So thanks, folks, for tuning in. And uh, we hope you'll come back next time and uh, join us right here on Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.